Hey there, it's Bianca from Bold Culture. Just a friendly reminder, it's not only up to your employees of color to fix your diversity and inclusion problem. It's up to everyone. Need help? Visit us at boldculture.co. Welcome to Mixed Company. Bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. Uh, But welcome to you all. uh, And thank you for coming to Be Me, the real DNI talk. Um, To start, my name is Kai Devereaux Lawson. I am one third of the Mixed Company podcast, um, which maybe like one of you have ever heard of. Um, But for those of you that know nothing about Mixed Company or you don't listen to podcasts or both, um, we are a platform that strives to discuss our experiences as people of color working in advertising um, who just happen to also not be executives. So we share the same experiences that many of you have um, and potentially may um, experience while you are working in the agency world. Um, Oftentimes our conversations are raw. Um, I won't give that to you here because I also work in that building and I'd like to keep my job today, um, but I promise to keep it as clean as possible and also as lighthearted as possible for our guests. So to start, I want to say thank you all for being here because you obviously could have been anywhere in the world, um, but free food and soda will do that to you. So there's that. Also, I want to say thank you to Group M, um, who has been committed to the converse, not just the conversation, but the action behind diversity and inclusion. Um, if you guys look to the several screens that we have uh, showing you, the brands included in this conversation today will be uh, Essence, Global, Wavemaker, Mediacom, and Mindshare. Um, and it is through my own personal experience and through the experiences of the people who are sharing, um, I guess this isn't really a stage, but this staging area with me today that we can attest to the commitment to try and the commitment to work hard to make sure that as many people as possible feel included. Shout out to everybody walking in now. Please feel free to get food and drink. We don't want anyone's stomach rumbling while we're chatting. All right, so with that said, I want to go ahead and um, introduce our panelists. Well, they're not panelists, so let me give a caveat. This is also a live recording of Mixed Company Podcast. So if you've never been to a podcast recording, you're welcome. Um, But we will be posting this uh, sound quality providing on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. Um, so that you can all reference this conversation later and, of course, share with your friends because we love the followers. So with that being said, this is a live podcast recording, so we're not panelists. We're actually all co-hosts for the day. Um, And I'm going to allow everyone to introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about who they are, why they're here, and which brand they work at. Hi, guys. My name is Portia Scott. I work for Wavemaker. 
I am on the marketing and events team, so you will see me interchangeably with my cell phone doing lots of video and taking photos. It's part of my job, okay? Um, so I've been with Wavemaker going on four years. I actually worked at Mediacom in a previous role, so I'm a bit of a boomerang. That tells you how great uh, this work environment is. Um, and just a little fun fact, I love fashion and style. I'm also a writer and blogger, so you'll see some of that personality come through. <laughs> Hi everybody, my name is Kristen Paris. I work at Essence and I'm in the Learning and Development division there. Um, prior to transitioning into Learning and Development, I actually worked in media for six or seven years. So worked at Maxis in planning and then transitioned over to Learning and Development. So I mean, really what that means is I'm responsible for designing and creating, facilitating all the experiences that help people actually do the jobs that we hire them to do at media companies. Um, since we're doing fun facts, uh, I guess uh, hard to hide this arm brace I have here. So fun fact, I broke my wrist a few weeks ago in Cabo on an ATV ride. So uh, ignore this best you can. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Emiliano. Um, I am a junior art director at Mediacom. I work in the branded content department. It's very different than um, ads. We never make ads. Um, it's a lot of the fun stuff that you see, like um, the brand pop-ups that New York City gets a lot of. Um, fun fact, I was a neighbor last year. So, very excited to be here. so fun. <laughs> That cheering. Um, my name is Caroline Tran. I also work at Wavemaker. Um, fun fact is, I'm actually celebrating to this day my 12th year here at Wavemaker. Oh, true. Yeah. First so, of all, that's unheard of. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank to you. you. Yeah. Um, I'm a, so I lead the business for Team IKEA here at Wavemaker and um, oversee um, across all the different channels. Um, and fun fact, I guess, one of the ways to test them. So. There you go. Hi guys. Well, I don't need a mic. It's loud, right? Uh, my name is Mel Francisco. I'm currently part of the data and technology solutions team here at Platform Group Ben. It's a new role, it's a new team. It's very dynamic and tech focused. Before that, I started uh, the Group M Multicultural Analytics team. It's the first of its kind in class across the industry. And fun fact. Okay, guys, this is not even that fun, but have y'all listened to Lizzo lately? I'm like, maybe I'm way behind, but I'm I've become Lizzo obsessed, and the other day I started a meeting say, um, well, it was like a Jew song, and I literally quoted, if I shine, we all shine, <laughs> and they were like, wait, what? They need to check their cultural facts, that's, that's for sure. Okay. Um, so with that, I want to be sure to let you guys know um, a fun fact for the event. So on podcasts, um, you guys are also a part of the show. It's not just about listening to us speak. It's not just about trusting our answers. It's about making sure that you get what you need uh, from the conversation. So in an effort to make sure that everyone's able to contribute, we will be utilizing a platform called Slido where you can submit questions, which towards the end of the conversation, which will appear, 
I'm going to assume on the screen behind me, and, and unless somebody tells me no. Okay. Um, on the placard. So you guys can take a look at, there's a placard here I see, and if you don't have access to one over here, they're on the round tables on the periphery. Please take a look at that information so you know how to um, find, log into, and submit questions to Slido um, because we want to make sure that you're not leaving here uh, for just another panel, that you are able to ask a completely honest and transparent question and get a completely honest and transparent answer in return. Um, and, I mean, keep us in check. Like, if you want to know real stuff, well, I'll, I'll tell you real stuff. I'll tell you real stuff within reason, but you can always hit me up on social media. Um, okay, so to begin with, everybody kind of talks about their backgrounds. We are from different, uh, various places within the United States. We've got some East Coasters, some Southerners, and if you're any West Coast, but that's cool too. Um, we also share different backgrounds via gender and ethnicity, um, which I am going to go out on a limb and just suggest that that has all framed and shaped how we approach the world and our work. So being that diver diversity is ingrained in who we are as people, and that we work in an environment and within an industry that relies on our personal context um, to essentially solve problems for brands and um, other entities. Why is diversity such a difficult thing to discuss for a lot of people um, in this business? Anybody can take it. I'm just, I'm also passing the mic so we can all be heard. Um, I think for brands, they um, don't want to offend anybody. I think there are a lot of brands that have already gone down that route. We talked about Pepsi and how quick everyone you know, yelled at them for it. And um, if, if you don't talk about it, you can't get yelled about it. And, and no one can really call you out um, in that way. So I think that's why we avoid talking about it. But I think there's an opportunity to really you know, take those ideas. And, and like, don't be afraid to to take what you grew up in your background and apply it into your work. Because I think that is what makes the difference and what um, is different in this industry. And so, like, be proud of that. What about even in the workspace? Because I, I can definitely see that. In the past, I've seen that from a lot of brands just in my tenure, right? Like, some people, they don't want to say the wrong thing because saying the wrong thing can mess up your money. And for those of you that pay rent, you know, oftentimes you're nice to your landlord on the first of the month. Um, but for those of us who actually have to live and breathe in the agency air, within the agency walls, like, I find that if you bring up, to your point, your culture, and from my perspective as a woman who intersects between, um, you know, African-American culture and Latin culture, like, I see things this way, and we may want to, we may want to approach work in, in a different manner, I've, I've experienced people coiling up and recoiling and not wanting to um, address those issues. Why do you, why does anybody think that that might be the case? I, I think it has a lot to do with what you were mentioning before. We all have different backgrounds that have made us who we are and how we identify is so deeply personal. And being able to bring that into the workspace, you want to you are protective of your identity and you want to be very careful about how you share that with people um, because 
the way you identify may be different than the way other people identify you. And so there becomes this push and pull and this challenge of figuring out how to navigate that very, very deeply personal piece. So I think that that's the thing that makes it so sensitive for us to talk about because uh, you, you are allowing yourself to be a little bit more vulnerable than the, the armor you kind of put on every day to come into the workplace and feel like you can be a part of a larger piece. I think the reluctancy behind talking about diversity is this notion of vulnerability. It requires you to be vulnerable. It requires you to bear yourself in a place with people that you often have this uh, built wall up on a day to day. And it's this notion of, okay, if I'm going to be vulnerable in this moment, First, will my voice be heard the way that I think that I'm articulating myself? Or are you going to perceive that differently? When I share my experience, are you going to acknowledge that experience? Or in turn, will that experience ultimately be used against me in the future? And so when you think about it from a place of vulnerability, it goes back to is the environment a safe place for me? Do I feel protected in that environment? And it all, all it takes is one experience to where maybe you're, you know, misperceived. And then you go from being the opposite of feeling protected to then feeling that you are on the defense. So I think that if we can, I guess, get to that, that first place of vulnerability. And it's something that I can personally say, I've been in media for almost 10 years, and it wasn't until maybe the past year and a half where I've started to feel uh, this sense of, of boldness where I understood my vulnerability will ultimately help other people be vulnerable. But when I was your age, and when I was new and I just started out, I was, I was so timid about it because I didn't feel the environment allowed me to be that way. Yeah, I agree with you, Portia. I think a lot of it stems from a culture of fear. Um, and fear both ways, right? As a person of color, fear that you're not going to understand my perspective, fear that I'm also going to be coined as, oh, you're the, there goes a Latina, live Latina again, you know, the, the eye roll, right? The, the, the whole oh, thing. Oh, man, my you're favorite. Like, Right? Oh, like you again, preaching, saying the same thing over and over. So you don't want to be the broken record. You don't want to be the one who's evangelist and constantly being the one seeing, like, pushing an agenda. And I think also there's also from the other side, people that are not, a, a, you know, uh, from a multicultural person, a people of color perspective, is the sense that I may say the wrong thing. So I'd rather not talk about it or bring this up because... So what you're getting at, you know, Caroline, I, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to be called out on. If I don't say anything at all, I'm going to be safe. So there's also that kind of seesaw. I think it's actually interesting that we all answered it from the perspective of people not in power. And I don't necessarily, what I don't find is that the people who are not in power have as much difficulty discussing diversity and inclusion and being other and being ostracized and on the periphery of, of power um, as the people who 
from our perception, and you all can correct me if I'm wrong, can literally press, press a red button and make the world change, right? Like, you sign my checks, so I assume you can make policy and change policy. Um, and I will give you guys, I'll give y'all some tea. So I uh, recently went to Cannes um, with the Cannes Can Diversity Collective. Shout out to them for taking my crazy self there. Um, but during an event, I actually asked um, the group of men in the room who were all, these are C-suite men, for those of you that are not sure what C-suite means, chief of something, like they can chief of something, somebody's paycheck, okay? They make rules, they break rules, they, they are people of power, men of power. Um, and during the conversation, specifically was about race, no one, none of the men said anything. But the conversation was actually being carried on by the women and the junior people of color in the room. And to me, I found that to be, um, I mean, it just, it, it, it just made me think, like, if you don't have anything to say here, if you feel uncomfortable, and you're literally the person that can make things happen, what, what is me even giving you my perspective even going to do? Do you guys have thoughts on, like, from a, from a empowering the power perspective, like, do you think that there's a thing we can do to help our CEOs, CMOs, CTOs, CCOs, CROs, <laughs> do something, <laughs> see something different? Um, that has helped us because I was in a situation like that. We were in this big C-suite kind of conversation, and when it got to, oh, we need to progress women, everybody's like, yes, 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 yes. And then when we got to the point, oh, we also need to progress people of color because we're losing them at lower levels, everybody went. <laughs> and I had to stop and say, well, guys, one of the first things we have to do is getting uncomfortable being uncomfortable. So I am in a different place in my career, so I can... I guess I have that luxury. But with, with the C-suite levels, I advocate and speak of my culture a lot. And I allow my boundaries to come down a lot in my vulnerability. So I talk about my experiences. I talk about how I'm also, you know, women, women, women of color, but also from a low socioeconomic standing. Right. Like, I grew up in the South Bronx. I grew up with nothing, like, you know. So, and, and, I, and in those school of stories, when I get vulnerable, they start getting vulnerable, and they start sharing ideas, and they start saying, well, what do you think we should do? And that's when conversations, when I think when change really happens, change can only happen when the other person of power can see and put faith and value behind those stories and understand that. Um, I think... You hit it on the head. I think it's, uh, you know, Portia, you kind of, you talked about it too. It's about the safe environment and you're having that discussion. I think it's about a two-way conversation in terms of the person who is asking the questions and the one answering. It's about how you frame it and how do you react to what they're saying. Because if someone is afraid of saying something and then you blow up at them, they're never going to say it again. But if it's a conversation and a safe zone, I think it would foster um, a more productive conversation. Yeah, I definitely think it's crazy that this came up. Um, I have a short story that I can share about this because recently in our department we just started hiring um, we need writers. And um, I had somebody externally 
comment on, um, they went home and I was talking to my roommate about like the candidates that we were looking at and who I was excited about. And she said, you know, it's kind of crazy that you guys don't have any women of color even in the running. And I looked over and I said, oh my god, you know, how did I miss that? Um, and then I came back and we come here to make, and it's so easy to have these conversations because we are in a very safe environment. And I don't think that I've ever felt more challenged, especially because I am a junior and the person who was doing the hiring was our most senior person. Um, I want to make sure that I can come in and say, hey, um, here's what you should be doing. Especially because it kind of makes it sound like you're telling them how to do their job and you can put them off really, really easily. Um, not so much from here that you might just yeah, can't in the process. Um, so I think that, yeah, to that extent, the, the thing that I wanted to do and I think that I hopefully did was a load up on the facts because especially because these conversations are so hard to have, you want to make sure like you're coming, you want to make sure that you know that you're coming from an educated point of view. And it's crazy again, um, I thought that I could name some off the top of my head, but I really have to sit and say like, why is diversity and inclusion important? What value does a person of color bring to a team that I can actually speak to? And then on top of that, um, I've learned this a lot too, they, they call it managing up. Um, it's learning to speak to the people above you in a way that makes them seem like you see them and understand them and you don't want to take their job, but you're also like flagging down something that could be important. I think another thing that's really important when it comes to empowering those in power, right? And I think to that point, building that empathy, like letting them know who you are because until they can see it, it doesn't exist to them, right? So being really, really um, clear about who you are and like what your value is, being able to share your own stories is incredibly helpful in creating a picture. That's something that's tangible that people can actually connect to so that it feels like um, something that's a little bit more, it, like it feels tangible. It's not just an abstract situation. I'm talking about you as a person and people like you and, and trying to find a place where you're building some sameness with people, and because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for sameness, and so if the sameness doesn't come from physical appearance, what else do you have in common that you can create that common ground and build rapport, and then be in a place where you're able to start to uh, make recommendations, right? Not tell people what to do, but you'll, you'll be more valued in, in your perspective and your experience and, and all that you can bring to the table. I think something that um, will definitely help. Sometimes it's better to show something than to say it, right? I'll give you uh, a, a little example. A few years ago, one of my former co-workers and I had a little, I guess we were going to lunch and we were chit-chatting about uh, the per this particular feeling that we sense of like feeling as though there's not many of us in our work environment. And we wanted to do something about it. And I remember uh, my friend had said, she was like, well, how do I, I don't know how to go about and, and share this sentiment to where those who may not feel the same way that we do will actually get it. And so I remember saying to her, I said, well, maybe if we come, I'm, I'm very solutions driven. And so I said, I have this idea. What if we create an actual space where we show them why this is important? And so it was this little ground-up initiative that turned into 
uh, Rainmaker's leading diversity and inclusion initiative called Architect. And it was this idea of, I have, let's say, 10 friends from different teams that I work across all say the same exact thing, where they wish that they had a place and a space where they can just collaborate and grow and learn and speak about what diversity and inclusion means to them um, through the lens of, of different ones in the industry. And so we created what was this uh, pop-up of fireside chats. So we would invite someone in our industry that we just need from personal relationships. So for example, one person was like the co-founder of this website called Blavity. And he came and he spoke to us about how they started Blavity and his passion points. And it was just so inspiring. And then that trickled into, who else can I get in to come and speak to us? And then it grew and it grew and it grew. And then when we ended up um, realizing that this is something that, again, it wasn't just for an exclusive group of people. It was for anyone and everyone who wanted to come. Our people and culture team got involved. And they said, this is amazing. And so we decided to scale it out bigger and better. And we said, well, how can we take this and, and make sure that it's something that all of our groups can experience? And so it turns into, for Black History Month, a huge art exhibit that we now do. And we bring in different ones from uh, culture and music and art. The artists come in locally from our area and they showcase their work. And the employees have an opportunity to experience a culture that they may not know nothing about. They may never go to a Black History Museum or see an exhibit, but here's an opportunity where we brought it to them. And so it ended up creating this environment of, wait a minute, everyone else felt individually empowered to come to the table with an idea for something that they were passionate about. And so it's this notion of if you feel inspired to do something, and if you think it out enough to where you say, okay, here's this idea, Here's how I think we can execute it. You'll be surprised. It just takes one person that you share that idea with who will grab onto it and be like, how can I help you? And the more of those how can I help you get together, and you end up being able to actually inspire that change from the ground up. I think that's a good point. And I also think um, before kind of going on to the next topic, because I, I, I know we said a lot of things that we can do, but I also think that it's important, even at a junior level, to hold your um, hold your leaders accountable, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't you know, I mean you don't have to walk up to them with you know like a belt like you're my mom, but like you can you can actually you know ask people how's that plan that you said you put into place, how's that coming along? You can actually ask more questions about the initiatives happening within your organization. Um, a, it shows you care, and B, it's not necessarily putting all of the work on you to make a change in an organization that, quite frankly, you don't own. You contribute to, you, you help to build the culture, um, but your responsibilities lie elsewhere where their responsibilities lie at the top. So I think it is okay to inquire about the change and inquire about promises made to make sure that people are holding themselves accountable, especially at the top. Um, something, Med, that you said was about uh, earlier that kind of triggered the next piece is being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And I know we speak about that a lot, um, especially in the conversation of DNI, 
Um, it's definitely a conversation as a person of color. It's always a conversation as a woman. It's just like your whole life is uncomfortable from Spanx to being the only one. Um, there's likely going to be a moment where you are not feeling um, 100% yourself. With that being said, I think what could be helpful, um, knowing that you guys are coming in through Maine, um, to share some stories about what that has looked like. What is, did you experience culture shock? What was your first experience or your first experience where you realized in the workplace that I am different or everyone here is the same as me and there's no one different? Like either way, was, did you have a successful experience? Did it turn you off? Um, because quite frankly, like that's the real thing, right? You can catch people. Um, I think it'd be good to just share like that story. My story is a little ratchet because obviously, as everyone's getting to know me, um, I have no behavior. Um, and when I started my first job, ironically at Wonderman, um, I started like the day after the BET Awards came on, <laughs> and. Uh, for context, I was at Howard University in Washington, D.C., HU, you know, um, and I'm used to walking into businesses, internships, because uh, I was also working in music while I was in school as a college rep, and talking about the awards, and I remember, like, Beyonce did some amazing performance, because who knew that she could get better than she was then, um, and I was prepared with all of my facts to bring that conversation to the office. And nobody knew what I was talking about. And I've never felt so alone in my entire life. <laughs> when no one at my place of work wanted to discuss Beyonce at the BET Awards in 2011 with me. Um, and I know, like, it, in retrospect, it's funny, but being as petty as I was in the moment, like, it was sad. It was like, we're never going to have anything in common. These people don't even know who Beyonce is. <laughs> They're dead to me. Like, why am I even here? Oh, you know, um, but with that, like, I think that was the first time where I felt, like, excluded, like, not excluded, but not a part of the fabric. That is when I knew I was different. And it wasn't that I didn't work with women of color. It wasn't that I didn't work with people who were interested in, I guess at the time they called it urban music. Now it's just pop. Um, but it was, it was working in an environment where there's a generational difference. I'm now one of the youngest people coming into an agency that is uh, decades old. Um, I'm also working on a team where, you know, while there are other people of color in the, in, in the agency and that work on other accounts and not on my account. Um, and I had to kind of dig deep to find, okay, well, what are the other places of common ground that I can find? Thank God I watch football. Um, but, like, if I didn't have that, like, that is the easy way to just feel like you are alone. So, did anyone else have an experience where they were like, I am not the same as everything else in this box? Please tell. Or it could just be me, because I'm here, and that's also fine. No, I can speak to one. Um, we, like I said, work in the branded content department, and so we usually will come up with really crazy ideas, and then we brief in partners, and they help us bring them to life. Um, and this one was a very, very specific one. We were looking to tap into a more Hispanic audience, 
And being Latino, if anybody has seen their stuff on Facebook, they do a lot of like funny videos, came to us um, with like crazy amounts of numbers and they just have like a ton of audience. And so um, we were on a call with them and it was just a regular day at the office. I was sitting there um, as a junior. I don't really get to speak much during phone calls and it's usually fine. Um, but um, I just remember that she was like, oh, we have some like really cool reels for you guys and we just want to show them. And she puts them on play, and they're all playing in Spanish. Um, and I realized that nobody in the room could understand why the content was funny. And well, and then further, I realized I was the only person of color in the room. So it was like a double whammy. Um, and I just remember thinking, like, okay, <laughs> so none of you know what's going on. Um, and I think to like your point of establishing some connection, I think, um, yeah, like, it'll make you feel different, but at least in my case, I felt really proud. Um, you guys should feel this, too, when you walk into an agency as a POC, and sometimes you will be the only POC in the room, and I think that, um, yeah, it does, at, at least for me, I don't know, I'm very much an optimist, it did not make me feel like, oh my god, I'm super different, it was like, oh yes, I am here, I will represent, I will translate, and tell you guys why the hell is I just have the visual of like being that kid in high school where everybody's kind of turns and looks at you like, what did they say? <laughs> you know Spanish, say what they said. Was that how it went? Yeah. A little bit? A lot? Okay. Okay. Something I'd, I'd like to caution against is kind of how I approach being the only different person when I started working. I also went to Howard. Um, so coming out of a predominantly black environment all the time, I already knew that going into the workforce, it was not going to be that way, right? So that was no surprise. It wasn't a culture shock when I stepped into the workplace. Um, but what it caused me to do was kind of compartmentalize. Like I was in survival mode, feeling like, all right, I got my work self, and like that's full on, I'm business buttoned up, this is what I need to present to the world, and then I have my after work self. So I was really feeling like I was living that double life full on, um, and I was getting feedback at work that people thought I wasn't approachable, they thought that I wasn't friendly, and it's just like, y'all know, I, I think I might be too approachable, and I'm not trying to give you all of that all the time, and I want to be very, very, very careful about how I'm presenting myself, um, and so it took a little bit of time for me to, to realize the ways that I, I could connect with people that didn't necessarily look like me, um, and not letting the, the fear of them not you know, being welcoming or opening to me for whatever reason stopped me from trying to build those connections because ultimately it was kind of hurting me in the beginning. So when I notice uh, younger people of color kind of doing the same thing, I always try to kind of pull them out of that box because I know it's a self-preservation tactic, um, but the way that it gets perceived is that you're not open, available, willing to participate in the group. So just be mindful of finding those things to Kai's point. Of, of how you can find those commonalities, like is it sports, is it TV, is it which I'll do on the weekend, like like it can be little stuff, but you gotta start somewhere because otherwise it could snowball into something that's not gonna be great. Um, I have a perspective, it's a little bit opposite. So for me, most of my life, the schools that I went to, I was either always the only person of color or one of maybe two up until college. And then when I was in college, it was like the UN, and it was great, and I was like, yes! 
And then I went into the workforce, and I'm like, okay, I'm back at school again. And then it wasn't until I worked at BT, and it was a flipped perspective. And let me tell you how that opened my mind and tapped, allowed me to tap into my personal authenticity and how I approach being myself in an environment. So BT is not 100% all black. It's maybe, I want to say, you have about 65% of African-American, um, maybe about a good 15, 20% uh, Latino, Latina, and then everything else for the, to equal 100%. The environment and the work culture, not just at BT, but I felt this even through the other arms of ICOM from time to time, was that there was a sense of pride of who you are. This, this sense of pride of your ethnicity, regardless of if, like myself, I'm American with uh, roots in the Caribbean and uh, from uh, North and South Carolina, so I have this interesting mix and I'm, I'm tapped into both sides of my culture. And I can come into work and, you know, talk about going to Barbados and someone else is like, oh, you're from Barbados, my family's from Trinidad. And it opens up this dialogue that's so open and so free. And it was just this sense of just, it, it, um, that's where the vulnerability came in, where it's like, oh, I can really, like, relax. Because most of the time I've been, okay, extra mindful and extra filtering and how I say and what I say, just because I know that there is a really good chance that how I communicate might not be what the other person hears. And so the story that I'm telling in my words or my actions may often be completely different in the mind of someone else. So after two years at BET, I come back on the agency side, and I just have this sense of, I know who I am. And the approach, and or what I brought to the table coming uh, in this environment was, you know what, I'm going to let my hair loose. And I, I remember I used to, like you see my picture, well it's not up there anymore, my hair straight in the picture and it's, it's curly now. And I used to switch all the time. And I used to get questions all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, did you like, um, what did I get? Did you perm your hair? No, my hair is actually curly. But like, it was super straight. Yeah, I flat ironed it and I could wet it and it goes back to curly. Like, I used to have to answer these questions all the time. And in my mind, I'm like, you know what, Portia, it's okay. They just don't understand. But you can take it a step further to either explain, but then it gets to a point where it's like, do I have to keep explaining? Or I could just be myself and allow who I am to, to, to just, again, be, be free. And so I say all that to say, Whatever it is that you feel makes you uniquely you, and you identify with it, it could be anything from, again, your culture, which is an inherent diversity aspect, or it could be something that they call acquired diversity, which is based on an experience that you have. You might have lived overseas somewhere for half of your life. The way you see the world is going to be different. That's a perspective that's phenomenal. Imagine if you shared that story with someone. And it begins to just take this, this place of you shining in who you are. And so as you think about how you can step into who you are and, and being your authentic self, just take that one thing and own it. Um, 
I am going to skip the last question I have because I'm reading all of the questions that y'all were throwing up there. And I was like, oh, y'all real smart. <laughs> oh, they have real good questions. All right, so let's do this because I'd like to get as many questions as possible. And I know the point of Slido is that you vote on questions. However, sometimes I feel that there's bias in these platforms where you ask questions. So I'd like to get to every question by having each of us take having one person answer one question, and I think we'll be able to get to them more quickly. So I'll start at the top, um, and anyone who wants to take, first person to raise their hand can take it. What needs to happen to get people of color in that C-suite position? I'll take it. <laughs> we have to, well, okay, so from our end, on the, the non-executive level, um, we have to be more clear about what we want. So. The first thing I heard, um, and I know you said it, and I'm not disagreeing with you, I have to tell people, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just think about things a different way. We do want your job. We are not here to say junior copywriter, junior planner, junior project manager, junior tech. Nobody is coming into this industry to stay a junior. The goal is to get to the top and make all the money you have because we want to go to the Hamptons in the summer too, right? And I think it's going to be very important about being clear about what we want, even if it changes throughout the course of our careers. Um, and so also, we also need to expand our circles, right? So we can't grow laterally if we're only kicking it with people at our level. Um, some of us are going to have to be a little bold, and when you run up on your CEO um, in the street, to say hello and make sure they know your name, to make sure that your mentors are in executive positions, to make sure when you go to networking events, you're not just going to find a happy hour buddy, although that is very important because you don't always want to be the only one at the bar, um, but that you are finding people who have actually achieved the success that you want. Um, whether they look like you or not, whether they share the same uh, qualities and likes that you have, because we need to demand that. On the contrary, it is also going to be very important for our mentors of uh, an executive leadership to advocate for more people that look for us. It is a closed group. It is a sorority. It is a fraternity. Um, some people in the media, they'll call it the the good old or the boys club, the good old boys club, whatever you want to call it. It is a closed group of, of people in a network that in order to open it, they have to advocate for initiating new members, for those of you that are in sororities and fraternities. Um, and we all need to do our part. So no one's going to give you anything. We all need to work hard and earn it. But closed mouths don't get fed, whether you are at the top of the corporate chain or the bottom. Because I think that's so important, especially as like, gosh, if I knew this when I was earlier, I would have been C-suite right now, right? So starting on companies, company. So what was really interesting, you have to demand what you want, and you know, somebody asked me why is it that you could be so authentic? I was like, because I have receipts. And when I go in for a position, I don't say, oh, I work really hard, I stay long hours. I go with facts. I was like. I believe that I should be director because X, Y, Z, this is the value I bring, this is the contribution, he's an example of a client feedback, he's an example that I got this, and then I say, therefore, I believe I'm prepared. If the feedback is, you're not, great, what do I need? What do you think will get me to the next level? You tell me, give me that feedback. When they give me that feedback, I also say, and how long? 
right? Are we monitoring this uh, progression three months, six months, a year? Because I will have this conversation with you in six months, a year, and have it and hold them accountable. And at that end, they're like, oh, we can't promote you, then leave. Because you're ready, you know what you just did? You just prepared your resume with all those facts. Then now it goes to somebody else. I did that recently with the current job that I have now. I literally coined this whole idea that I want to be chief data storytelling officer. And I created and I wrote an op-ed. And I said, this is what you need to transform the industry. This is what you need to transform the agency. Oh, and by the way, this is what they will do. This position will do. And nobody can do it for you. I can. Manifest this goal, and here's why. And yeah, I was like, I want it, I'll get it. <laughs> you know, this is a, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm that was a yes answer. Answer. Um, and I went aggressive. And I went to the, the head of HR and I said, here it is. I'm leaving in six months. Can we do something? They're like, met your good talent, speak to the, the head of the platform. Fine, I did. Then I told him my spiel. Then he said, speak to this person to year. I did. Little did I know that I was interviewing at the time. I was showing my opinion. I was aggressive. The conversations and in interview. Yes. And by the third, the third meeting I had with that senior level person, I got the job. He was like, what do you want? When can you start? That's one. You know, take ownership and aggression, but do it smart. Yes, you can be authentic. You can only be authentic when you have receipts. Yeah. And the other thing is, um, in terms of what we need, we also need as we are escalating, people of color escalating. We can't just think that success means success because I need it. That means nothing. And that's an important lesson for you guys. As you go up, even if it's like from junior level to senior plan or whatever it is, you're going up. So you bring as many people along with you as you can. And that's always an initiative I have in my back pocket. It's like, how many people, I look around, I don't see people like me, how are we going to change that? And be strong and aggressive about it. Cool. Aaron wants to know, in moments where you feel like a coworker oversteps a boundary, whether in a joking manner or just general lack of knowledge, ignorance, how do you rectify those scenarios? One person take this, please. I'll do it. Um, so this has actually happened in the workplace multiple times, and I think it's up to the person. If you're there and present, and you're offended, say something right away. Because if you harbor it, it's, they're never going to fix it. So you have to go either address with it with them separately um, on your own, like one-on-one. -on -one. And basically, it's about a, um, a quick education. Like, hey, I'm offended because, and um, you know, you're using that word, and you don't understand the context about it. And I'm going to tell you about it. And then that person immediately should trigger to say, oh, I'm sorry, like, I didn't mean that. And I think it's an easy fix, just address it. 100%. Is it possible to get rid of the questions that we've already answered so we can see the ones that are hidden? I don't know if anyone can make that happen. Um, but I'm going to go on to the third one while we try. Uh, when I ask senior-level people of color, or POCs, uh, they say being a little deaf and a little blind on the microaggressions is needed in playing the white people's game. Mm. Do you agree? Somebody else think that. No. Is that like a general consensus? No. And that, mm. Mm. All right, let me just go. Whoever asked that, because it is anonymous, feel free to find me either after or anybody here, and we can go into more details about that so that we keep our jobs. <clears throat> but no. Um, uh, what steps 
are you taking day to day to advocate for people of color in the workplace? Uh, so for me, I think the first part of it is knowing who people are. So like when you see people, say hello, get to know them, like start to build a rapport with them. Um, but the other piece for me personally is about building a sense of community. So rather than feeling like you're the only one all the time, how do you look around and build community with, with, with what you got, work with what you got, right? Um, so for I, I actually lead a diversity ERG at Essence um, because it was really important for me to empower people to take up space, which is really kind of like the root of it. Like we're not about kind of hiding, I don't want to hide myself, I don't want to hide these parts, I don't want to feel like we're having secret black people meetings and behind closed doors, right? Like, how do we create spaces where we're able to know each other, build community in a way where, you know, when somebody's moving up, you can pull up behind you, right? Like, so we know each other well enough to be able to say, I know this person, we have built rapport, we have this relationship outside of uh, maybe this specific day-to-day -day thing, like, I am ready to ride for them. Alright, um, for the Hispanic, Latino people, yeah, I, girl, I was already going to take the extra five minutes, <laughs> thank you. For the Hispanic slash Latino people, how do you guys feel about the fact that the only Latin representative of ourselves is the white Latin people? I'm highly offended as I probably represent Panamanian and Costa Rican descent, but anyone who's not Afro-Latino, please take this. One of the first things that I always say is we come of all shapes and colors. And I bring that up because, especially when I led the multicultural analytics team, they would do, like, creative agencies will do campaigns, and they're like, beautiful, super, super white-looking, super straight-haired girl, Latina. And I'm like, yeah, we come of all shapes and colors. And we have to show that spectrum. And it was, I think, very, even more powerful because I was not, I am not a dark Latina. It would become even more powerful to speak to the power of each helping each other. So yeah, I'm not part of the you know Afro-Latina community from a shade perspective as I am, but not from a shade. I don't present myself as that, right? But I speak for my sisters, and I speak for my sisters who are darker than me because it's important. So things like this are the things that we have to start getting used to. We're one culture. And we bonded over that in another conversation as well. So thank you, girl. Alright, um, what happens when civility and respectability aren't enough? That sounds like the intro to the next uh, season of Real World. Um, to foster tangible change from those white male CEOs, from marginalized people. What happens when civility aren't enough to foster tangible change? Ah, what happens when being nice isn't enough um, to make change? You get angry? I don't know. What's the answer, y'all? Yeah, I can take this one because I feel like I was definitely living this one recently. Um, you have to be nice to more people. Um, I think at the end of the day, whenever I was raising my voice and feeling like it wasn't being heard, even if it was the person who was at the top of my ladder, I scooted a little bit to the left and said, who in HR can I speak to about this next? Because, like they say, there's safety in numbers. If you get enough people riled about it, and if you get the right people riled up about it, then you'll be able to move things around. Um, I am not saying that I found um, any kind of pushback, but I definitely felt like my um, advocation for people of color 
was um, kind of sinking into the noise of all of the recruiting that was going on, and I definitely wanted to make sure that I didn't miss that. So instead, I was like, okay, I've said it enough to the people that I needed to say it, and it's not going anywhere, so I'm now going to say it to more people. You have to be smart about the people that you speak to, especially because there are politics that you have to play whenever you're in an agency, but if you initiate any conversation with, I hope I'm not stepping on any toes, but I wanted to blank, you can get a lot further. Um, that's definitely how I did it. For those of you that are on the main page, I don't think so yet. Um, that is how I was able to pull um, the job description out of our recruiting department and send, send it over to me um, just by getting in touch with the right people. So if being nice to the big person isn't enough, scoot over and be nice to a ton of more people because people will move behind you. Thanks. I am going to combine the last two questions about microaggressions and people not understanding you when you speak because I think that that is a microaggression. Um, and so technically there are two questions that I'd like us to get to to be nice and make change, right? Um, so let's start with that one. For, for anyone who, where English is not your first language, how do you deal with having, uh, having an accent and uh, people saying they don't understand you? You do. Uh, English is not my first language, Spanish is. Uh, and I you know when I first studied in industry, I talk fast and I talk even faster. And there were moments where either things got lost in, in translation. So, for example, I was talking about, oh yeah, this is a target audience. The best of the best, the cream of the crotch. Because I literally got that wrong. Uh, moments yeah, where <laughs> the people are like, wait, what? Um, and there were moments where I would pronounce uh, beaches, bitches. Um, even till the day I had an, a colleague said, oh, you know, Matt, while you can pass in color, um, people can, you know, there is an accent. You have an accent. Um, and part of it is because I'm from the Bronx, and part of it is because oh, English right. not, I'm proud of that. And, and what has helped, actually, one is try to talk a little faster, slow, not faster, slower. <laughs> <laughs> Confuse them even more. Um, no, talk when, when it's important, when you're trying to communicate, it's important. You know, slow your pace, make sure you pronounce the words so, because you're communicating, communication is so important. But two, be okay with it, be vulnerable with it. Like, I would not excuse it, I wouldn't ever apologize. Um, but I make a, a joke out of it, I, I make them feel comfortable with not, because some people are uncomfortable saying, oh, I don't understand what you're saying. Not everybody comes from a negative place. So if you allow yourself to be uncomfortable, and, and uh, excuse me, to be, yeah, to be uncomfortable, and if you um, allow yourself, you know, that voice that says, oh, nobody understands you because of your accent, um, if you allow that voice to say, be quiet for a second, I'm going to say that, yes, this might be a little bit hard, um, and follow up with things like, this, this makes sense, let's pause. What are, you, are you capturing what I'm saying? Is, you know, and almost stopping so the audience or so the person you're talking to can respond back. Those help out as well. Real quick, sorry. Yep. I think it's twofold. I, I see you, yeah. but I want to get to these questions because yeah. when are you guys going to get this Nelly, opportunity yeah. to hear these, right? Just talk here. Yeah, two, uh, twofold. One, own it. Like, that's exactly on it. The second th thing is um, we also have a responsibility of helping each other, right? Because if you run into someone who is making fun of 
someone that isn't speaking English, remind them that that person may speak two or three different languages and you're sitting there just speaking English. So like, remind them that they are actually pretty intelligent and just change that mindset. So just be vocal. I'm going to give you the last question because I want to make sure that we said that we've, at, we've answered every question that at least has been put in front of our faces. Does significant change come from asking those in power for equity or from seating people of color in positions of power? If so, which should be prioritized? I think it's a combination of both. The, okay, so I'll be honest, in every job that I've had minus BET, I've rarely seen people of color in senior leadership positions. I'm an associate director. Um, I can count on one hand the number of senior directors that I know that fall within POC. For me, honestly, that makes me feel, well, what are the chances of me progressing up the ladder myself here? And, and I love this work environment. Um, fun fact, another one. I worked in research before I worked in marketing here at Wavemaker. And I was in a role, in a research role for three years. When I got hired, part of uh, my hiring plan was that I would be fast-tracked uh, within a six-month period from a senior manager to an associate director role. Everything that Met said to do was exactly what I did. I would have check-ins with my former manager at the time, saying, what do I need to get here? From day one, I asked that question. I would have my little checklist. I made sure that I would put monthly one-on-ones to communicate with her to make sure that I'm on track. Six months down the line, I'm sitting in her office, so I'm, I'm ready to talk about this associate director transition. When is it happening? And it was a whole new set of things that I needed to do that were never discussed initially. So what I did was I went to HR and requested the job description for an associate director had the job description from the senior manager role that I was in for six months, and I said, hmm, that's interesting. I'm doing everything currently as an associate director, yet I do not have the title. Mm -hmm. Everything that you're requesting of me is now a director role, so should I be requesting that? And I kept getting these challenges, and it was so frustrating, to the point where I realized that I didn't have an advocate on that team to help propel me, which was something that I promised myself that I would always make sure that I would be for someone, even if they didn't directly work within the vicinity of the team that I work, work in. I've identified those who, to me, I found little parts of myself in. It didn't have to be another young black woman. It can be a guy who I just happen to sit in on a meeting with or sit next to and say, you know, just get to know a little bit about them so that they feel that in the instance that they may ever need someone like that, they have someone like that. And so that experience within itself, I would honestly say, is what's going to, when you think about how can you, as you mature in your roles and, and, and placing your, having a voice and having a say and invoking change, that, Yes, you want to have elements where there's the equity piece, meaning that they're the same um, means of opportunity. So if you don't speak another language, 
Is there maybe learning and development or something that the company is offering to ensure that you have those same opportunities as someone else that doesn't need to, to, to you know, develop in that area? Or the flip side is, again, do you have someone that they've seen you? Because a lot of times people don't see you. So, in short, how can you think about when you go back to where you're working as an intern, how can you share a little bit about yourself? And it can be as simple as just introducing yourself to someone that you don't know and getting to know about them because people are more inclined to loosen their vulnerability when they feel that you have an interest in them, genuinely, not asking them for anything, but just like, how are you today? Awesome, well thank you guys for joining Mixed Company Podcast. And thank you all for being a part of this live recording. Uh, I believe we are shifting to the closing now, where you guys are going to hear from somebody that's really important, and that's not me. <laughs> She's got a real job here. You are very important, honey. Hello, everyone. My name is Lakeisha Paul, and I am the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion for Group MUS which means I'm the head of diversity and inclusion for Group M, all of our agencies, Essence, Mindshare, Wavemaker, and so forth, in all of their markets in, within the U.S. And so I'm looking at these questions, and I'm like, oh, I've got so many answers for these things. Um, and I am in the C-suite. Um, so I am saying all the CEOs. Yeah. And I'm going to take one minute just to plug that, because one of the first things that I did in this position was get all the CEOs to be on a board with me so that we can make these changes. And so these are the people that have the power and the authority to sign off on half a million dollar budgets and so forth for me to make some changes, some real changes to um, increase our diversity, equity, and inclusion here. So that's that. Um, my other hat that I hold that's relevant for this evening is I also sit on the board of the four A's. So it's really great. Um, but it's really great to see um, both of these initiatives, uh, me being head of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion for Group M, as well as sitting on the board for A's come together. I love looking out and seeing just the diversity amongst us all here and just seeing that we're in a place now where we can talk about how can we get together and collaborate to make progress and a difference for each of us and then those who aren't even here yet. And so, um, just brief, I've been in this industry for about 15 years, uh, sorry, 19 years, um, doing media planning and buying. I've been at this company for 16 of those years. And proof um, that you can do it. And let me just tell you how I did it. I just walked into an office and said, this is what I think we need. We need to create something. You just need to have that boldness to know the value that you hold and be able to do that leap of faith to put yourself in that position. So don't ever feel like you're in a place where you're stuck. Move yourself out of that. I always say you are currently sitting in your no until you 